Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. As we're recording this episode, we're in the beginning of August. So, in a lot of states, deer season is uh, right around the corner. Um, some get a start already at the end of this month, others will kick in in September and October. Exciting time of the year if you're a bow hunter. We have a very special guest today, Tracy Breen. Tracy's a longtime bow hunter from Michigan. He and I have known each other for a few years now. And, um, you know, Tracy, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Yeah. Now, now we're going to talk about um, a very common topic, but we're going to come at it from a different perspective. And that's hunting from the ground. You know, um, over the years, uh, there have been a lot of companies that have come out with some tremendous ground blinds, giving bow hunters opportunities to conceal themselves and hunting situations where maybe there's not the the proper landscape or topography or the right tree for them to climb. So they can't use a, a climbing stand uh, or if they're hunting over um, food plots, they may opt to conceal themselves in a ground blind. But you approach the situation a little differently. And we're going to tackle that in a minute. But but Tracy, how long have you been a bow hunter? Oh, man, I'm 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I've been outdoor rider and working in the industry since I was, I don't know, 21, 22. Uh, old guy, old veteran now, I guess you could say. Uh, it's funny how fast we all get old, right? Yeah. And so you've done a lot of bow hunting, but one of the things you sort of specialize in, you've done a lot of DIY bow hunting across the country, haven't you? Yes, I have. You know, um, when I started writing for hunting magazines, I realized, you know, uh, you don't get you don't get rich writing for no offense to any magazine, whether it's Outdoor Life or Peterson Bow Hunting. You don't get rich writing for those, and and hunting trips are expensive. So pretty early on, I I always joke when I do seminars that I kind of took the Dave Ramsey approach and, and figured out how to do it on the cheap. So I've I've hunted in 34 uh, states and a couple Canadian provinces. So I've I've been able to get around, and some of those were media hunts, but a lot of them were you know do it yourself. $800 elk hunts, you know, $1,000 whitetail hunts, those kind of things. Yeah, and obviously those are getting harder to put together, but you certainly Absolutely. can put together good quality DIY experiences if you do your homework and if you save your pennies. Now, what's your favorite place that you've done a DIY bow hunt, whether it be a province or a state? Uh, you know, probably um, New Mexico for elk or Alaska, you know, uh, anything in Alaska is fun, whether you're, you know, fishing or hunting. But I, I would say probably if if I could only hunt one state the rest of my life, it might be New Mexico just because, uh, you know, there's big bulls there. There's a variety of different uh, species to hunt, um, beautiful mountains. So, yeah, if, if I had to choose, it'd probably be elk hunting in New Mexico. Yeah, and obviously a lot of uh, hunters from the east like to head west and do the the Rocky Mountain elk hunts. And you've also done a fair bit of uh, whitetail hunting. And as we touched on at the beginning of the podcast here, um, several years ago, a number of years ago, you actually started to hunt on the ground. But um, you do it a little differently. You started to hunt uh, without a blind. So how, what made you start um, hunting on the ground? Why did you leave the tree stand and hunt on the ground? Well, I mean, unfortunately, the, the main reason is I have cerebral palsy and uh, it's caused me to age faster than most people. I'm only 44, but uh, I half jokingly say my body's 65, you know, and so uh, climbing into street, tree stands became difficult. Um, 
more importantly than that, hanging them and the work in getting them in place became more and more difficult. And because I have elk hunted out west since I was 20 years old, you know, guys out west hunt everything from the ground. And so I just started kind of applying those tactics of western hunting uh, to whitetail hunting. And then over the course of writing for hunting, hunting magazines all these years, I had interviewed many western hunters who came east to whitetail hunt and did it from the ground. Some of them, uh, if I mention them by name, are famous guys you would know or company owners you would know. And, and they just hunt everything from the ground. They think nothing of it. And, and their success made me kind of rethink, hey, may, maybe this is a way for me to keep whitetail hunting without having to bother my friends <laughs> to hang tree stands for me, you know? Yeah. And um, did the fact that it would be an additional challenge hunting from the ground also factor into that decision? I mean, was that uh, part of it? Yeah. I mean, but I, but I'll say, you know, just knowing that it could be done. And I, I think that's the misconception is most people think that it's nearly impossible to accomplish. Um, it's not easy, but I'll say it's a lot easier than people think. Yeah, well, let's dive into that a little bit. And again, we're talking about hunting from the ground without using a ground blind. Obviously, you've hunted with a ground blind over the years. But so when you first started this tactic, you know, um, what are the things you had to think about? Like, because, you know, you think you're going to set up on the ground and you have to make sure you're concealed, but still have the ability to get a shot off. So let's start off and talking about the, the broad strokes. What are the first things you have to think about if you're going to hunt on the ground with a bow and arrow? I mean, I mean, obviously cover. Um, I'll give you a, a recent situation. Um, my son is 14. Uh, last year he was, so last fall he was 15 years old. Uh, we had this high traffic whitetail area where a lot of, we had a lot of good pictures on public land of, of deer. Um, found it kind of last minute. Uh, I'm looking around, I'm looking at the landscape. We see this big bush and I say to him, you know, let's just back you into this bush. No pop-up blind. Uh, nothing like that. The the bush is probably, you know, it, it's huge. You know, it, it's probably five to eight yards wide and, and that big around and we we're able to back them into the edge of it. And, um, you know, th that's what we did. And so the, the big thing is obviously breaking up your outline. The whitetail is notorious and a, a tremendous animal when it comes to finding the human outline, right? And so step one is to get rid of that outline the best you can. Yeah, so obviously you want to you want to um, conceal yourself, and um, do you you typically use the natural cover and vegetation? Do you ever go in and make makeshift blinds? Shall we say? Do you ever go yeah, in and yeah, alter yeah, the absolutely. landscape? Um, we're experimenting with that right now on my own property. I have 22 acres in Michigan that that I live on, and we are doing some makeshift bow hunting blinds for this fall. Um, I border a big chunk of public ground. And obviously, technically, you can't, you know, cut trees down, those kind of things. So in, in this bush situation, we were trying to use cover. Uh, I think one of the keys to success is staying as low as possible. Um, and so a lot of times you're hunting on your knees. It can be uncomfortable. Uh, you don't want to. I don't want to stand up. You know, I think it's a lot easier for them to make out the human outline. So the lower you can get, you know, back in the day, gun hunters were hunting from pit blinds. You know, yep. they would dig a hole in the ground and climb in. Um, that's not a bad idea. That's actually a great tactic, and, and we're going to use that this year. But keeping the human outline from being spotted and, and, like you're saying, even a little bit of cover. You know, you have a couple of downed trees that are stacked on top of each other, getting in the middle of those. 
and just kind of breaking up that human outline. It is, like I said, not that you can't get busted, but I think if anyone tried it, uh, they'd be surprised how easily it is to get away with. Um, I think whitetails are more and more apt to look up in a tree, right? I mean, that's that's uh, what happens a lot. And and we don't get as bust, busted as often as you'd think, just hiding in the brush. Yeah, now, I mean, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is you probably want to have, thinking about how whitetails travel, you want to try and have a, a good ambush spot if you know the lay of the land and you know that. And that's all um, important. But also, I mean, you've really got to be conscious of the wind then if you're on the ground, right? Yeah, you're, you're not getting away. You're not getting away with, uh, you know, if you get 20 feet in a tree, I mean, you, you hear these saddle guys getting even higher than that. You can get away with a bad wind, right? Uh, you can get away with a little swirling. When you're eyeball to eyeball, there's none of that. And so uh, using ozonics machines is one thing that's worked, obviously spraying down and making sure your, your scent is completely eliminated or to the best of your ability. And then also picking those ambush points so you know where the deer are coming and hoping that they're not going to get you downwind side. Obviously, you can't stop that from happening, but those are all key factors when picking your spots. Yeah, and it's, it, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you, you know, in some places you can sort of have an idea which way the deer are going to travel or move, whether it's going to their bedding areas in the morning or out to the field in the evening. But a lot of times if you're hunting, especially if you're hunting during the rut or um, or if you're hunting uh, in the early season, they sort of, I found they'll sometimes meander and come from different directions. So how do you try to mitigate that? What's, what's your um, strategy for that, especially if you're hunting maybe early in the season where the cover is really thick? Because like you said, Scent control is important. Uh, any type of movement, they might pick up on it pretty easily, especially as the cover starts to thin out. How do you try to um, hedge against that? I think as far as the uh, order goes, you're doing the same thing that a tree stand hunter would go, is that you're you're looking around. For instance, this spot where my son hunts, you know, it's kind of the spoke of the wheel. All the deer are coming from a variety of directions, and, and we're trying to kind of hedge our bets, right? What are the odds of them coming from this way? We pick the bush that he's hunting in based on knowing where they bed. But I th also think that the beauty of this is you can do last minute things. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you see deer a hundred yards away coming from the same area three or four days in a row. You can quickly move. That's that's the beauty of the ground is that it does make you more mobile and being as scent free as possible. Um, it, it's possible you know, the owner of Scentlock once told me the goal of scent elimination is to make a deer think you're 100 yards away, not 20 yards away. And I think with scent elimination and ozonics machines and all those things, you can, even when on the ground, get close enough to them that they know there's something there, but they're not quite sure. And that extra split second is what you need to make the shot. You know, absolutely. And, and you know, as we're talking here, uh, I thought back when I first started bow hunting and I, I didn't now uh, I'm in my early 50s. So I'm talking my my early 20s. I didn't have a lot of equipment and uh, I took a couple deer on the ground when I first started. Um, and then obviously, like most hunters, you, we've taken to the trees over time. And so you brought up a really good point. You sort of lose sight of it. But, you know, you think about hunting out west or you think about, you know, saddle hunters. They always use the term mobile, having mobility. You brought up a key point when you're hunting on the ground, you have the ability to make minor tweaks and adjustments that you might not have if you're sitting in a ladder stand or you're up in a saddle. And, you know, especially if you're hunting with something like, like a crossbow, but uh, uh, that that's a great point to bring up. You really do have a little bit of flexibility if you can do so 
while um, keeping your scent to a minimum and making sure that you're not spotted. So um, now um, when you're looking for a good ambush site, you, you talked about the the, the bush that uh, you're going to be hunting with your son. But what do you what are you looking for when you're looking for a good ambush site or hide? Uh, I, I think the best thing is a high traffic area um, where you know deer are coming and going. And then uh, I like to use natural cover. So down trees, thick brush, edges of cattail marshes, those kind of things where it's really easy to get thick, thick cover. And the deer are used to that thick, thick cover. And so they're not paying much attention, even when there is a little bit of movement. But being in a high traffic area, uh, same thing that a tree stand hunter is looking for. I love scrape lines, rub lines, those kind of things. Uh, if it's a spoke of a wheel and there's a lot of deer traffic there, chances are there's going to be a scrape. Um, I like having a scrape. I like taking a shot when he's on that scrape. Because once again, the, the biggest thing when hunting with the ground is, is the human silhouette and movement, right? So getting your bow drawn. Uh, I shot a buck on the ground one time. He was four yards away from me. And, wow. you know, I, I killed him. And as he was coming in and, I, and I'm calculating this and I'm realizing, okay, he's 30 yards away. I don't have a shot. He's 20 yards away. I don't have a shot. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be, if, if he goes broadside, he's going to be right on top of me. And sure enough, he was. Luckily for me, there was a scrape there. He's messing with a licking branch. He's messing with the scrape. He paid no attention uh, to what I was doing. He caught me when I came to full draw, but at four yards, it was too late. Yeah, and, and and that's a good point. Obviously, you have to pick and choose your spots for a shot, or draw and and be ready as the deer's approaching if you know it's going to pass right by you. Now, you mentioned earlier in the conversation uh, about kneeling, and and you know when you think about hunting out west, um, or even if you think about hunting in the whitetail woods, obviously as you practice during the summer, you not only practice at the target, but you practice from different. Um, shooting positions you practice you know from an elevated stand maybe you practice from sitting standing um do you do the same thing when you're hunting from the ground like do you do a lot of practice from the kneeling position and from a sitting position do you you know that's a good absolutely. question absolutely absolutely because it it can be hard uh coming to full draw from your knees you know i mean it's a different position uh, i actually have the weight turned down on my bow a little bit to make drawing in those situations a little bit easier um if if I'm in a thick brush situation and I feel like I can sit on a stool and I bring a stool, you know, when I'm practicing in the backyard, um, you know, I'm I'll sit on a little stool. If I'm using a stool, it's important to know I want a stool that gets as low to the ground as possible. A lot of these ground blind stools and, and chairs are almost like office chairs as far as height goes. And it's it's really too high. The best stool I have found for uh, hunting off the ground is those little fold-up cheapos that you'd get at Walmart or whatever. They just have like a, a vinyl seat or a cloth seat, and you just pull it apart. Uh, the truth is they're not super comfortable, but they're really low to the ground. Yeah, and again, it's important to keep that um, profile low. So um, now, do you change anything as far as how you do lift and draw your bow up? You know, because obviously you, you need to break up that silhouette and there's a lot of movement when you're coming to draw with a bow. So is there anything you do differently when you're hunting on the ground? Uh, I think I'm really, I pay really close attention to my setup and either having that scrape or having some cover. Like when I'm teaching my son and when he started hunting that that bush, I was like, you know, you got to think ahead. You've seen them coming from the left to the right. 
you know, how, when are you going to get drawn? See that big oak tree right there? That's when you're going to draw. You know what I mean? And once again, it's kind of like hunting elk out west. You you don't come to full draw when they're staring at you. Uh, and so I do pick locations based on uh, I'm I'm thinking about where a scrape is located or or where a runway is and where is my spot to get drawn. It just so happens when I shot that bucket four yards, um, it was the first time I'd ever set that spot. It was on a whim. Uh, because I couldn't get in the tree stand that was there. And it was a last minute, you talk about being mobile and last minute decisions, that was a last minute decision. So I had to, you know, take the risk and, and you know, hope for the best, it, it worked out. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, in some ways you wanna plan more, but once again, some of, some of the greatest hunts I've had on the ground, you mentioned it yesterday when we were talking about this, uh, you can end up with some amazing flukes when you just back yourself into a pile of brush and in a good area and deer walk by and, and they're not paying attention to you and, you and you make it happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that comes to mind with this is obviously when you're in a tree, especially earlier in the season, you want to make sure you have your shooting lanes pruned well before deer season, or, or you might have to trim a couple of things when you go in there. Um, when you're on the ground, it's a whole different perspective. Um, do you, do you go in there ahead of time or do you do some pruning even while you're ready to set up? So you make sure you have a couple of good shooting lanes because it can be sometimes a whole different world when you're trying to push an arrow through on the ground than it is out of a tree. I do a lot of last minute things. Okay. So you're sitting there and you're looking around, you're like, oh, I need to trim this or I need to trim that, you know, that could affect arrow flight, or I need to move myself a few feet over that way or this way. But I think one of the beauties, and this is important to mention, the reason I'm able to get away with hunting off the ground uh, successfully, I think, is a lot of minute, a lot of times they're last minute decisions where I'm hiking along and I'm I see an area that's all of a sudden beat up for whatever reason. It's the rut and it's become the spoke of the wheel. And I just sit down, I figure out where to sit and I hunt. So the the reason I'm able to be successful, the deer have had no negative. Uh, human activity in that exact spot the whole season. It's November 1st. Uh, it's the first time you've hunted that spot. They haven't seen a human hit there. They haven't bumped into a human. There's been no human odor. There's been no brush move. There's been no branches cut. There's been nothing that sends a red flag. The first red flag they get is when I'm at full draw. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge point because they're not anticipating or they're not used to the human interaction there. And so that really does give you that element of surprise. So um, now have you found, have you ever hunted a spot maybe two, three, four times? And have you saw diminishing returns if you've done that on the ground? You know what I absolutely. mean? Like if you yeah, absolutely. Um, last year when my son was hunting in that bush, uh, you know, I told him he was hunting it too much. Uh, it was a really good spot. He started over hunting it. And I said, you know, it's it's a, it's just like the first time in any tree stand. You talk to a lot of guys, a lot of my interviews over the years for magazine articles or whatever. You know, it's that first sit that's the most successful oftentimes. And it, it's the same way. Uh, it just so happened my my son uh, ended up shooting. This was on public land where that bush is. And he shot a two and a half year old seven point last year at 17 yards. Uh, arrow deflected off a limb, just like we're talking about. Um, and he hit it in the neck and we didn't find it for a little bit. <clears throat> um, but that was probably the sixth or eighth sit in that spot. And he had busted some deer. That buck, that in particular buck uh, coming through a scrape line was the first time he had passed through there. Yeah. And I, and so that's, that's a big help. And uh, how old is your son, by the way? Uh, 15. And so I, so that, 
that is a kind of an interesting thing to me is that here's a 15 year old. Unfortunately, he's got a dad with disability. Makes it harder for me to put him in a tree, right? Uh, he does have some tree stands, but he's been forced to learn to hunt the ground. And at 15 years old, he came to full draw and, and you know, shot that buck. And if it wasn't for that little limb, you know, we would we would have found it right away. But, you know, pulling off the shot in and itself is a big, big deal on the ground with no blind. And, you know, he did it at 15. No, and that and that's amazing. And congratulations to him. And, you know, I think uh, what you're what you're saying here is, is actually really nice. It gives you an opportunity to hunt and be there in close proximity with him on the ground. I don't necessarily know what the what the laws are as far as, as hunting in in Michigan, but this is an opportunity where the two of you can hunt together. And so that's a really nice part of the whole thing. Um, and so um, I'm assuming sometimes you, you go out, you know, you mentioned that it allows you to be flexible. You might find a spot that morning or that afternoon that you want to sit down for the evening sit. Sometimes you probably go out ahead of time and do some scouting and you have an idea in mind where you want to set up your ambush point. Yeah, I mean, there there's spots right now, for instance, you know, we're August. It's August. Uh, we're tweaking a few things. Uh, I'm constantly learning. Uh, I'm going to build some cover in a couple of spots on our property that kind of break up the bottom half. And we're setting those spots up. I'm even going to dig some depressions in the ground that allow us to be even lower and, and further break up the outline. If you can break up your outline, so the only thing really up above is your chest and up. And then if you have some brush or cover breaking up your head, there's not a whole lot of human outline. And, and so we are going to set up two or three blinds, basically much like you would tree stands. We're basing it on wind directions. We know the prominent wind here. And we're going to have two or three spots for, you know, a variety of different wind directions. We also are using, I have a little pop-up blind and um, I have a redneck blind as well. And we are going to uh, set up some, what you'd call a traditional blind situation as well. Yeah. Now, have you found when you um, do these um, makeshift blinds using the natural vegetation, um, you know, if, if you set up a, a ground blind, you got to try and set it up in advance because whitetails are just notorious for noticing something that's outside of their their comfort zone or different with the landscape. Do you find the same thing as you're building these um, a natural vegetation blinds? You have to try and do them in advance. Will the deer pick up on that? Uh, once again, it's either you're going to do it a long time in advance or last second, right? Um, but natural vegetation is different. Uh, you know, it's not fabric. Uh, I think there's UV brighteners in a lot of the blinds today that are made on the man, you know, the manufacturing side and they just stick out like a sore thumb, you know. Um, so natural vegetation, I mean, I really think the best thing if if I was walking along and I'm just in a hurry and I want to hunt the ground, I'm looking for down trees. I love two or three down trees kind of inter intermixed together and and that brush just kind of uh, breaks up your human outline and they don't they don't pay a whole lot of attention to what's going on if if they're cruising by yeah now you did just touch on uh using the um, manufactured ground blinds and obviously they've become more and more popular uh with each passing year and so um when you're setting up your actual ground blinds um what are some of the things you consider i mean obviously you're looking at the same things you want to make sure you have a a good place where the deer might come out to feed in the evening, you know, or you want to make sure you have a good ambush point as they're heading back to their bedding area. But, but when you're setting up a ground blind, what are the most important things to you, Tracy? I think brush, just like, just like without a blind, uh, I like to have that thing in the edge of cattails or the edge of some down trees and having it on the edge of down trees, the, the down trees actually uh, 
give me kind of a foundation for leaning limbs and structure and things against it. I probably go overboard, but if someone was walking by a pop-up blind that I set up, I mean, I want that thing to just look like a big overgrown stump. Okay. I don't want one stitch of fabric sitting there or anything like that. Like I'm, I have a food plot on my own property and we're in the process of putting one of those pop-up blinds up and you're not going to be able to tell there's anything there. I mean, it's going to look like a pile of brush. You know what I mean? That's, it's a pain in the neck and it, and it's a lot of work. Um, but the devil's in the details, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you want to be as inconspicuous as possible. And so uh, to have it blend in like that is is really the key. I think, you know, the other thing is, is, and we can't stress this enough, if you hunt from a ground blind or if you're just going to start hunting from a ground blind, or like you said, a, a makeshift blind, the practice, you want to make sure that you, you know, if you're sitting in a seat, you want to make sure that you can pull that bow weight back and that you practice shooting from the sitting position. Uh, sometimes guys will, will set up a blind to go in to hunt, but maybe they've never shot from it. And that can throw them off a little bit. That's pretty important too, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, a key thing that I've had gone wrong and mistakes I've made, for example, from a pop-up blind or, or any manufactured blind is you shoot in your backyard without it. Okay, and then you go hunt it and you get in there and you set your chair down kind of kitty wampus. You're not paying a whole lot of attention to it. And then deer comes in and you go to full draw and your elbow bumps the edge of that pop-up blind and the whole thing moves. Or the sound of fabric, the sound of your elbow on that fabric. Uh, and so it's important to actually, if you're using those type of blinds to shoot from them, understand, you know, the idiosyncrasies of that blind and, and how to pull off a shot. Um, a few years ago, I was hunting an antelope out west, and a guy threw me in one of those blinds. It was on a trespass hunt, and I couldn't even come to full draw. Luckily, you know, sitting in there, I was practicing and getting ready, and I, I ended up having to prop the door open uh, in order to come to full draw, and I had to mess with that for two hours. And then I ended up killing an antelope that morning. If I would have just sat in there and thought, ah, this is tight quarters, but, you know, I'll shoot when I shoot, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have pulled that shot off. And so it is important in those pop-up blinds to understand where your chair is. If you're setting them up long before season, don't be afraid to sit in there and shoot a few times so you know, you know, how to sit properly. Cause there's definitely a science to sitting in those as well. They can break up your out, they can catch your outline in there. They can see you in there. And so uh, setting them up properly. So you're always in the shadows, uh, dressing in black when you're in those things. I mean, those are things been talked about forever, but I think guys sometimes forget. They think they can get away with more than they can. The glow of your face or all those different things. Um, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. We can be a little sloppy sometimes in a tree stand and get away with it. Any little thing that can go wrong will go wrong when hunting from the ground. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. And as you were talking, one of the other things that came to my mind is, uh, especially if you're going to be sitting for long stretches, you really need a good comfortable and oftentimes a quality adjustable chair so you can make sure that as you're coming to full draw and you're shooting uh you mentioned bumping the 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 side of the blind things like that you want to make sure that you can align everything so that you can shoot well through the openings in the blind and things like that and also keep in mind you might be sitting two three hours at a time you want to try and keep your movement as minimal as possible and things like that so while we often think of just putting a blind out there letting the deer get used to it there's a lot of things that go in behind the scenes to make sure you have a good quality setup so when that moment of truth comes when that that buck or that doe walks in front of you you can um nail everything home you know all the little things that i've learned for instance is uh, what are you going to do with your bow when you're sitting in that blind is are you is it sitting on your lap 
Uh, do you have a hanger somehow in that blind that your bow is hanging on? Uh, one of the mistakes I know I've made is, you know, I'm holding on to my bow and it's, you know, middle of November and it's cold and I don't want to hold on to it anymore. So I sit it on the ground next to me. Well, then a deer comes in and you're trying to get your bow and there's some leaves on the ground and because maybe you didn't rake it out properly. So it's super quiet. And then all of a sudden you get busted. And so like raking the inside of your blind so there's no noise that can be made, no leaves, no rustling. Um, I actually use, uh, it's called a quick stand. It's by Pine Ridge Archery. And it's just a stand that holds your bow up in the vertical position. Something simple like that that just keeps your bow on the ready. Because if something's 20 yards away, the rustling of the leaves or pulling the bow off a hanger in the blind that causes the blind to move, all those things need to be thought about. And unfortunately, we often don't think about them until we're sitting in the blind. You're like, oh, I wish I should have. Oh, I wish I could have now, but now it's too late or now I'm busted or whatever. You know, um, raking a blind out so it's a soft dirt bottom is absolutely a must if you're in a pop-up. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, you're talking about a lot of these encounters are going to be very close encounters. And so when you talk about game animals, everything is much more noticeable when you're at ground level and you're that close to them, as you said, as opposed to being up in a tree and things like that. Uh, well, thank you for all this. The last question I have for you, whether in a makeshift blind or in a ground blind, what's your favorite or most memorable ground hunting experience that you've had? Uh, are we just talking whitetails? Uh, whitetails white tails or out west? Uh, you know, probably... Um... Uh, I mean, I can give a whitetail one and and an elk one, but my my favorite uh, elk hunting story from the ground was I was hunting a water hole, um, not even a makeshift blind. I literally was just kind of sitting in the brush like I'm talking about. I did have uh -huh. an Ozonics out. It's important to mention, you know, I'm not sponsored by Ozonics. I don't work with Ozonics, but those things can be deadly. I had one of those out in a, in a bowl, five by five bowl, come walking down into that water hole. It was opening day. I, looking back, I wish I would have shot him now. I didn't. He was probably 280 inches. And, and you know, I really wanted something bigger than 300. He come walking down that water hole. He, he couldn't get my wind. And he walked right up to me and sniffed my shoulder. So I, I passed him up. And he literally walked right at me. He put his nose on my shoulder. Like, to this day, I had a GoPro and it wasn't with me. And I, and I kicked myself. He, he put wow. his nose right on my shoulder. And I was trying to decide at the moment, do I dive forward or do I just sit here still? Because I really was afraid that if once he smelled me and spooked, he was going to put his antlers down, right? And just kind of charge ahead. And then I'd have a serious problem. Um, luckily for me, he put his nose down. He took a big whiff. And because his eyes were inches from me, right? I mean, I watched his eyes get big. It was like a cartoon character. Uh, and he turned around and hightailed it either. But very easily, he could have just ran right over the top of me. Um, and, and, you know, once again, that was opening day. It was September 1st, first day of season. Um, he hadn't had any negative hunting, you know, encounters with hunters or human odor or anything right there. So I think it was just kind of a magical situation where he had visited that wallow every single day all summer long. He wasn't expecting anything. Uh, having the Ozonics out probably did help, you know. Um, but that was probably my most memorable one. And then shooting that buck at four yards. Um, that was just a last minute decision. Hey, I can't get in this tree stand. And there happened to be some cattails there. There was a good runway, a good scrape. 
and, and backing myself into those cattails. I didn't have a knife. I couldn't cut branches. I couldn't do anything. I just kind of made it happen and pulled it off. You know, those are probably my two most memorable, one with an elk, one with a whitetail. Well, that story with the elk is incredible. I've had um, birds land on my arrow and I've had deer walk by where you could almost touch them, but nothing like that. Is that the closest encounter you've ever had with a, an animal Well, absolutely. Like that? I mean, you know, another inch, you would have stepped on me, obviously. Uh, and I kicked myself to this day. The, the moral of the story was, so that was opening day. Um, and they, what's the saying go? Don't, don't pass on the first day what you take on the last. Uh, I was there for 14 days. I was at full draw on a 350 bull that there was just uh -huh. too much brush between him and I, and I couldn't pull it off. And on the last day, I thought to myself, I should have shot that, you know, that 280 inch bull on the first day, and I'd be headed home with some venison and, and a nice set of antlers. But, you know, that's the risky take, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, sometimes things work out, sometimes they don't, but you have an incredible memory there that you obviously oh, still yeah, share to sure. this day. Yeah. So. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for everybody who's listening here, if you're looking for a, a, a different type of bow hunting challenge, or if you have a really good hotspot or a honey hole where you maybe don't have a tree or you can't um, get to where you want to be, give hunting on the ground uh, a try. As you said, it's challenging, but it may not be as hard as you think. Um, you pay attention to some things such as your, your outline, the wind, you can have some pretty good success. Absolutely. So, so thank you, everybody, for joining on the Bow Hunting Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand, or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.